This morning, uh, we continue Lent. And the process of Lent is this. We are we're continuing to empty ourselves out. It's the idea where we are trying to empty the cup. We are trying to, to pour ourselves out so that when Easter comes, we are ready to receive what God has for us. So we know that the reality of Easter, that we have a God who is resurrected, that we have a God who has the power you know, to promise us something that no one else can, we know that that reality is found, you know, it's, it's something that's present at all times, not just Easter Sunday. But there's something about having a, a series of preparation time where we begin to look ahead to this. And so in Lent, it's a season where we begin to be intentional to prepare ourselves to remind ourselves why we need the resurrection of Jesus. And so each week, we're kind of focusing on uh, the roles of the church. What is it the church does? How is it that the church, that we are to be, are to be, uh, to be pouring ourselves out for Jesus? So last week, we, we talked some about, about just kind of the the mission of the church as a family for the familyless. Uh, one of the roles that we do as the family of God is because God brings us into his family, because we were isolated, we were strangers, we were outsiders to God. We were not his, his blood children, right? It's the language of the scriptures. But he brings us in as his adopted children. And so he brings us into his family. And again, as we said, you know, the one string attached to Jesus is everything we receive, we have to extend. And because we are those who are brought into the family of God, we're also those who have to live as an extension of God's family. And so the challenge last week was to find 10 families to attend a, uh, an info meeting to learn about fostering and adopting. Um, I know we have seven official. I had two others tell me we're at nine. We need one more. If there's a family, if you are in here, if you've been thinking or considering uh, about just the possibility of fostering or adopting, or if you just want to know how to help, the meeting is going to be tomorrow, tomorrow at 6 o'clock. If you want to find out more about it, please come find me. I, I want to reach that goal. We're one family away from, from reaching that goal. But this morning, we're going to talk about a different uh, role of responsibility of the church. Before we do that, When you think about gospel, the gospel of Jesus, what's the first thing that pops into your mind? Don't guys say it, just kind of picture it. The gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, what is the first thing that pops in your mind? Now, what's likely is this. What's likely is going to be sin, forgiveness, heaven, or hell, right? Was that most everybody? Yes, Michael, I know it wasn't you, <laughs> brother. No, no, what I was thinking about. Okay, great. But most of us, right, it's, it's, it's somewhere in that ballpark. And for most of you, when you thought about the gospel, you're thinking about who? Right? Self, right? How it applies to you. Because it's also how you were taught the gospel. You were taught the gospel. The gospel is this in the way that it applies just to you. Now, here's one thing about the gospel. The gospel starts with one premise, one reality. The gospel starts by saying this, there's something wrong with this world. Hear me. Let it sink in first. The gospel is only good news because something is wrong. It is only an antidote because there is a sickness. Okay? It is only the good news of, some, of change because change is needed. We are sitting here, climate-controlled, safe. We have an officer outside. We have lights. We have projectors. We are in comfort right now. 
it is going to be a challenge for us to embrace the reality that, there, that this world is not okay. There is something sick here. There is something wrong here. And so for us, one of the burdens for us as Christians in this part of the world is we have to take extra effort to wake ourselves up to the reality that there are other realities that other people face. Now, there are times in your life where you will be awake to this. When someone is sick, when you have a need, and when someone dies. When you have strife in your life, right? When you suffer for Christ. Who has that friend who always has, like, the world is always falling for them? Right? Yeah. Okay. Um, how about this? We have parents of like three or more kids in here. Hands, come on. Okay. How do you react when a parent with less than three kids begins to tell you about their problems with their kids? <laughs> now, you're probably a jerk for reacting that way, right? Okay? Because we all remember having one kid. At that time, it was extremely difficult. Oh my gosh. But now we know what it's like to have one, two, three, four, you know, however many you have, right? And so now your perspective changes, correct? What's hard for us is that the very way that you think and feel, the very way that you perceive reality comes through your own lenses. You can't help but think through the way your brain works. The, the, the things that you understand, you can't help but see through your own eyes. You can't help but hear through your ears. You cannot help the fact that you only know the world through your experiences. Correct? One of the things that the Scriptures do for us, the Scriptures are supposed to pull us out of our little worlds and put us into a bigger world. See, the Scriptures are supposed to pull us out of your everyday problems and the, the kids were screaming and me and the wife got in a fight and, oh, this friend is just so mean and rude to me and, oh, hey, <laughs> my kids got to start t-ball and we're going to have to go to all the practices, you know. <laughs> Trust me, it's terrible. Practice is terrible. Anyway, it's supposed to pull you out of it, and it pulls you into something bigger. It pulls you into a story of Israel, a people who knew nothing but slavery and, and pain and loss. And then it pulls you into something deeper. It pulls you into a bigger story, a cosmic story, right? In the beginning, Right? And God created all the cosmos. And then at the end of the story, and it says, and at the end, there is this, the heavens and the earth, and all things are swirling in fire, and God is taking the entire universe and fixing it because there's something wrong. But this thing that's supposed to pull us up and out, we turn it into something so small, something so tiny. And what happens is the way that we begin to read the Scriptures is we begin to put the Scriptures into our little worlds, into our little lenses, into our little experiences, and then everything becomes about me. The prosperity gospel has so many powerful parts of it that we need. But the most dangerous part about the gospel most all of you receive, whether it was a sin gospel, a prosperity gospel, whatever it was, it was about you. You have a problem. Your sins, your future, your bank account, your marriage, your kids, your life. And Jesus has an antidote to fix 
your problems. That is not the entirety of the gospel of Jesus. Actually, that is about this much of the gospel of Jesus. The gospel of Jesus is good news to everyone who is suffering. It is news that everything in this world that is wrong is going to be made right. And here is the biggest issue for us. The reason that we can sit in this room and we can talk about, you know what needs to be made right? Sin. I'm just such, oh my goodness. And we can talk about our little problems and our broken relationships. It's because, you know what, we don't have to deal with the bigger issues of the world. No one's going to come into your, your house and shoot you. So you know what? You get to worry about your marriage. Guess what? Your marriage matters, but there are bigger problems. You don't have to worry about getting food to literally live another day. So we get to worry about the issues on the PTA. Lord bless them all. You don't have a loved one who's been sex trafficked, so you get to worry about your favorite TV show that just ended. You don't know what it's like to not have a physical covering over your head when it is cold or hot or raining or snowing or in Arkansas, hailing. Gosh, it does kind of look like snow. It's close as we're going to get this year. It's very sad. And so we get to worry about our vacation plans. Oh, gosh, you might not get to go to, to this resort. We might, we might have to, you know, we can only go to Branson four times this year. We'll have to go to church again in the summer. <laughs> oh, I got you. <laughs> Pastors like the worst Facebook stalkers in the world, I promise you. They weren't at church, but I know where they were. <laughs> yeah, it's terrible. The reason that the good news of Jesus, we have to be reminded what the good news is, is because we are so far removed from most of the bad. I want to explain this some more to you. If you guys have your scriptures, go to uh, Luke 4. Luke 4, verse 14. Luke 4, verse 14. This is the, uh, the, first, the first sermon we hear from Jesus. This is the first thing he does when he comes back from being baptized in the power of the Spirit of God. And, you know, again, to understand this through the, the Bible lens right here, this is, is important because he has just gone through the period of preparation and he has just received the insignia, the mark of God. It is now a sign to anyone who knows the Old Testament Scriptures, this is the one we've been waiting for. We've been waiting for generation after generation after generation for the Messiah to come, the one who's going to fix this situation for us. And he's finally showed up. And so Jesus, knowing that people are talking about him, the word has begun to spread. I mean, anytime that you see some kind of a spirit form thing come out of the, the sky, it looks like a dove, and it falls on someone, you're going to go, something's happening. Or at least you should, uh, unless you went to a really charismatic church before you came to grace, right? Happens every Sunday. The dove just comes out and tongues like fire. Come on, you guys got to loosen up. And so here's the first thing he does. First thing he does is he, it, he is going, he's going home. He's going home to describe. He's going to give his first sermon. He is going to tell the world, this is what I'm going to do. Think of it like this. What, what, um, 
when a new president gets inaugurated, the first thing that they have to do is they have to give the first address. They're laying out their plans. This is what I'm going to do when I am in power. Whenever I am the new president of this country, here is what my agenda is. And this is what Jesus is doing. And so he stands up here, uh, chapter 4, verse 14. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and the news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He taught in the synagogues and was praised by everyone. Jesus went to Nazareth, where he had been raised. If you just you catch the story shift, all these things are going, all this big stuff that everyone's talking about, and then what? And then it shifts and says, and now he returns home. Okay? I'm not sure if you know this yet, but at home, in, this, in the town where you're from, you're always so-and-so's kid. Understood? Okay. So he's big stuff, but now he returns home to Nazareth, where he had been raised. On the Sabbath, he went to the synagogue, as he normally did, and he stood up to read. The assistant gave him the scroll, and he, he reads this. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, meaning God has chosen me. God's chosen me. He's plucked me for this reason, because the Lord has anointed me, meaning he's also given me the ability. Now, so he's chosen me, and now he's given me power. He's given me what I need to do, the tools I'm going to need, because here's what I'm going to do with the tools. He has sent me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, and to liberate the oppressed. Just stop for a second. I have taught from this passage in my lifetime probably 35 times at least. I would say at least 20 of those times I've preached this passage, I have turned every one of those lines into some kind of a different reality. Well, he's coming to the spiritually oppressed. Right? He's coming to those who are, who are in prison of their sin. Why do I have to do that? Are any of you currently in prison right now? So if I say, good news, everyone in prison, you get to leave. Everyone goes, yeah, awesome. It doesn't, what, apply to you. If I'm in a room with a bunch of rich people, which I know we all have our issues, right, with finances, but as far as this world is concerned, every one of you is rich. And I say, hey, good news, everyone who's poor, God's going to take care of you. It's, it's all over now. He's going to come, and you've always been poor, and now he's going to give you money. For us, we go, oh, great, now I can use it to get that new car. I can pay off the credit card, whatever, right? It doesn't hit us, right? So we got to change it because it doesn't affect us. You've got to get this. You will never know what the gospel of Jesus is until you, until the reality of how messed up this world is sinks into you. But see, the gospel that you've been given, the American gospel, the American evangelical gospel, is that God is going to bless you so much that you can now be comfortable. 
He's going to give you the right job. He's going to give you the right person. He's going to isolate you and have the right house with the right gate. You're going to have, you know, the right job and the right vacation place. And you're going to be in the right, everything's going to be right so that you can insulate yourself from the world. And life's going to be good while everyone else's life sucks. Now, there's nothing wrong with blessing and prosperity and money. These are things that God is using. God works in the church through money and resources and influence, right? It's what these things are used for. And the gospel has a different message. The gospel says this, every single person who embraces the gospel of Jesus will be elevated, but you will be elevated for one reason, to elevate others. And so as you are blessed, you can choose this. You can choose to be blessed and continue to, to kind of to do this, if you can just imagine, right? <laughs> and to be isolated with your comfort. Money is like, money is like a bubble wrap. Do you guys like the bubble wrap? Yeah? If you have kids, your kids love bubble wrap, right? The more you have it, the more layers you've got. The less of the problems of the world you will feel unless you choose to engage the world. And see, that's the challenge for every one of us in this room. It doesn't matter what level of, of income or success you are. The challenge for every one of us as followers of Jesus is to not allow ourselves to be insulated, to engage. And that's the reason that the, the gospel of Jesus is, is not one where God will bless you so much, your life will be so great. Here is the true gospel of Jesus. If you love Jesus so much, he will bless your socks off. But if you really love Jesus, your life is going to suck. Here's why. Because you will love people around you so much, you won't be able to let them suffer alone. You won't. You will choose to get knee deep in the lives of every single person around you who is in pain because that is what the love of Jesus looks like. This is what it is to be a Christian. If you guys have your Bibles, go to uh, the book of Micah, chapter 6. We're going to just park there for a second. So in the Old Testament, you have these prophets and the idea was this. The idea is that you have prophets who, who hear from God. It was a time of suffering and pain. So everyone in Israel is suffering and hurting and in pain. And the point is this. We need to hear from God. What is God saying to us? What is he saying to us? And so the, the, these men would be raised up to hear from God. And so the way that we understand them is God would have some great message. He would speak to them and then tell people. And that's part of it. But the other part of what prophets did, which we have to understand this, is that prophets spoke from God specifically about things that needed to be made right. This has a word, and the word is judgment. When there's something wrong that's occurred, and that wrong thing has to be called wrong, and then what's right needs to be declared, okay, this is wrong, this is right, and so because this is wrong, to make this wrong right, here's what's going to happen. That's called a, a judgment. And prophets were used in this role of giving the judgments of God. They would speak from God and say, this is wrong, and this is the way it should be, and so to make this 
right, this is what's going to happen. And what's interesting is that the same language of the Old Testament is passed on to the New. And then all of a sudden, the Apostle Paul begins to use this language. He begins to call us a holy people, a chosen nation, a community of prophets. And see, we should all get very nervous when God begins to call us his prophets because you need to get this. Seeing things, seeing injustice, meaning to see what is wrong, to see it, to fully see this is wrong and this is the way it should be and this is what is wrong. To see things, to see injustice comes with a cost. See now, there were many people from the 20s through the 70s who knew that racism was wrong. They saw it and they just chose not to see it, right? Yes, they knew it was wrong, but they thought just... If we just look the other way, we'll be fine. But the first few leaders, the ones, white, black, the first leaders to step out and say, no, 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 I see this. It is wrong. They were the first ones to pay the price for standing up and seeing and calling things out which are wrong. There's always a price when we are willing to call something out which is wrong. And see, in the Old Testament, these prophets always had to do these really outrageous things. I'm not sure if you guys have realized or not, but humans are very good at selective hearing, right? Hearing what they want to hear. Okay. Uh, Have you guys ever talked to anyone who watches the news? Do you know anyone who likes Fox News? Okay. Okay. Do you, do, I have to be fair. Do you know anyone who likes um, MSNBC? Okay. Have you realized that they're living in two different worlds? People like to hear what they like to hear, right? The odds are the reality is where? Probably in the middle somewhere, correct? Yeah. We'll just leave that. <laughs> I was so tempted, but yeah. We'll leave that. To get people's attention, for people to see something they do not want to see, you have to go to extraordinary measures. So, for example, if I say, hey, look, it's a million dollars. You could have it. Everyone, bam. If I say, oh, look, we have an event tonight. We've got to pick up all these chairs. All of a sudden, I turn around, and I'm alone in the room. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I have my kids. I was going to get my kids, and, we, you know, we got, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. And so in the Old Testament, the Old Testament prophets had to go to extraordinary measures to get the attention of Israel. So you've got Isaiah, this amazing prophet. We quote him. Jesus quotes him. He has a really um, unflattering nickname. He's known as the naked prophet. Oh, you guys haven't heard that term? Okay. Because when he was trying to communicate the judgment of God 
at, at the shame that the people of God have put themselves through. What you have done has, has created such a shame to God that it's as if you've been stripped naked. And everyone goes, oh, yeah, sure, I didn't hear you, whatever, we got to go home. So what does God tell him to do? Just guess. Homeboy strips naked and walks through the city. Now, he's not walking through the woods because who cares if he's out in the desert naked? Nobody. But now he's coming to your front door. You know, he, you know he's walking through the city streets. He's coming to La Fiesta when you got your kids at the table. You can't ignore it anymore. Whoa! I see it. I'm just so glad I teach you guys how to see these things in the scriptures. The Old Testament's ridiculous if you just read it the way it really is. My goodness. Um, Hosea. Hosea, I want you to tell the people that they have been unfaithful to me. Sure, I'll go tell them. No, 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 no. I want you to show them. Sure. I want you to go marry the most unfaithful woman in your village, the one who sleeps around with everybody. I want you to marry her, and I want you to love her so much that every time she cheats on you, it hurts you the way it hurts me when these people cheat on me. Really? Oh, yeah, God just called his church what? Prophets. And then you have the ultimate prophet. Islam calls Jesus one of the great prophets. And we forget as Christians that one of his roles in the history of the church is as a prophet. And Jesus comes with the ultimate act of prophecy, meaning the ultimate act of pointing something out which is wrong and saying this is wrong, and that act is the cross. His very life becomes a symbol of everything that is wrong with this world, of everything that is wrong with this world. And then he calls his church to do the same, that we would be the people who call out everything in this world which is wrong. This is wrong. And so for us this morning, well, the challenges for us this morning is this. Seeing it, seeing injustice always comes with the cost. Are we willing to be the people who pay that cost? Are we willing to look around us in this community and say, what is wrong? What is off? What is not the way it's supposed to be? I know I told you guys to go to Micah, but don't go to Micah. Go to Matthew 6, 9. We just prayed this too. I want to explain to you why we pray this stinking prayer every Sunday. And you guys go, okay, we're praying again. Pray like this. Our Father who is in heaven, uphold the holiness of your name. Meaning holy, meaning otherness. Meaning you're different than us. Make sure when you pray that you're saying, Father, make sure that you remind us that you're different than we are. That your ways are different than our ways. And as you're reminding us that your ways are different than our ways, Here's what we pray. Bring your kingdom. Bring your different ways, the way you do things that we don't. Bring those ways here. So that the way that you do things are the way that we do things.
And then, of course, he goes down the list of every reason that we begin to do things, every reason that we don't do things the way he does things. Bread, which is what? Money. The first reason, one of the biggest reasons that we do not do things the way of God is because we seek our own good. We want what's best for us. The next thing is offense. The moment that someone hurts me, I'm going to pass on the hurt. The two biggest causes of sin in this world are right here in this prayer. The desire for my lusts and my needs and my inability to take the pain. When someone else hurts me, my inability to not take that pain and carry it on to someone else. To not forgive, to not heal, to not cause that injustice to me to stop with me. Counselors say this the same phrase, and it's, it's silly, but it's true. Hurt people hurt people. But it's absolutely true. What you don't realize, if you're looking from like a sky view, there are all these lines of connection between people. Just imagine, just like this crazy web. And it's the way that we're connected. It's the way that when I affect someone else, when I come in on my bad morning and I lash out on somebody, it goes into them, and they walk away, and they're upset and angry, and they pass it on to someone, and it goes to someone, and to someone, and to someone, and to someone, and we just begin to inflict harm, and it's this terrible cycle that we have. But see, the cross is, a, is the ending of a cycle. It says, no, 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 the injustice ends here, here. It stops. And so the response of the Christian is, no, 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 no. Because Jesus forgave. Because Jesus takes all of the injustice of the world on himself and says, no, this is where it stops. We take this into our marriages. Yes, I am hurt, but no, it will stop here. We take it into our parenting. We take it into our businesses. We take it into our relationships. We take it into our new community where we don't respond hurt with hurt. We don't respond offense with offense. We don't talk about people behind their backs, right? It's, it's a different community. We do things differently here because it stops at the cross. For us, the cross is where it all stops. But the question for every one of us this morning is this. Are we willing to pay the price to allow injustice? I mean, the way the wrongs of this world, are we willing to say what's wrong with the world stops here with me? Now, as a process, it's very short and simple. It starts with this. We have to start by seeing it. When I say see it, I mean you have to look at it for a while. You have to allow yourself to look at something that makes you uncomfortable. When there's something wrong in this world, you have to allow yourself to look at it long enough to make you uncomfortable. Sometimes when there's a, a shooting in, 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 this, in this country, what we do at Grace is we have moments of silence. And we do that because the only way I know to help you look at something longer than you want to. Because if you look at it long enough, you will feel it. So the first thing we do is we stare at it. We see it. And as we stare at what is wrong, we allow it to affect us. So after we see it, we then feel it. Have you guys ever been mad about something that was just wrong? 
And it eats at you, doesn't it? It eats at you the same way that unforgiveness eats at you, doesn't it? The same way that when that person was just awful to you and it burns and you just can't stop thinking about it and you, you begin picturing what you would do, what you would say to that person, right? Oh, if I saw so-and-so right now, I would just... <laughs> then you see them and you go, mm, you know. Except for some of you who say exactly what you want to say and a little bit more. <laughs> right. Yes. Yes. We see it, we feel it, then we hate it. See, there is actually a place for anger. You don't understand that. Anger has a good motive. A- anger has a good root. There's a purpose for humans to have anger. When something is wrong and needs to be made right, we are filled with anger. We hate that thing. The problem is we misunderstand how to use it. We begin to use it on each other. The church is to use anger to use this ability to have, what's the word for that? It's like indignation, internal heaviness of emotion that you know this thing is wrong. We feel it, we hate it, and then it gets so much in us that we're willing to sacrifice for it, to fix it. When it's offense and anger and someone wrongs you, you hate, you feel it so deep, you hate so much, you're willing to let someone else have it. But it has the opposite effect when it's the Spirit of God. When it's the Spirit of God, you're willing to lay yourself down. When you have been wronged, you're willing to hurt someone else to exact force, violence. When it's the Spirit of God, you're willing to offer sacrifice. Lay yourself down. Do you see the difference between the example of the cross, the Spirit of God, and then what our own emotions will do? So this week for us, our emphasis is on injustice. And there's a lot of injustice in this world, but we wanted to start this, um, this Sunday with focusing on human trafficking. And, I mean, the why is, I think it's, it's, it's one of the easier ones for us to ignore. So we want to focus on that one this week. Would you guys stand with me as we kind of prepare for this? And so for us, the goal this week is this. We're going to post these awareness videos to Facebook. This seems light and silly, okay? But the goal this week is this. As we're tracking Facebook, I want 40, at least 40 of us to put in the 10 minutes it's going to take to watch these videos. They're not the worst. We saw some really bad ones. And, you know, we're up to like 4 o'clock watching these awful, terrible things about sex trafficking. Mercy gets you angry, right? It should. And so for us, we're going to start this way. The first step for everyone at Grace Church is this. We're not ready yet to go out and change it. We're not ready yet even to fundraise. The first thing we have to do is we have to see it. Because, see, we could do a fundraiser and feel good about ourselves. We could even do a march and feel good about ourselves. But the first thing is is we have to feel it. And so we're going to watch these videos. We're going to read the content. And we're going to let the reality of the injustice sink. And we're going to see it. We're going to feel it. And then we're going to hate it. And then after that, we're going to act on it.